Last week, we spoke about the fact that the church is rife with divisions, and that the only thing that can heal these divisions is if we all begin together a common focus on and search for Jesus Christ. Well, one thing that I glossed over last week was that a divided church is a very old problem. In fact, division is something that the church has constantly struggled with since her inception, which is why our second reading features St. Paul urging the church in Ephesus to remain united. St. Paul, however, is much smarter and much holier than I am, so is easily able to provide a succinct list of all the different ways in which we might be united with each other. Today, we will explore this list together, but we will go in backwards order. St. Paul moves from the most intimate to the most expansive sources of unity, But I am going to start with the big picture and get smaller. The final and most expansive item on St. Paul's list is the one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the unity of creation, our most basic unity. The one thing that everything in the universe shares is that it was created by the Father and continues to be held in existence by the Father. This is how God is over all and through all and in all. The implication of this is that every person, animal, plant, rock, atom, and quark maintains a relationship with every other person, animal, plant, rock, atom, and quark because we are all in relationship with God the Father and through him with each other. Our first unity is our common contingency, that is, our shared creation. Getting more specific, St. Paul offers the unity found in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Here we move from the realm of nature to the realm of grace. Yes, we are united by our common creation to everything in the universe, but the old creation is corrupted and falling away. As Christians, we know that we were also made a new creation, a new creation at our baptism. The one baptism is both the entrance into and the result of our one faith in the one Lord. And by being recreated in Jesus, the one Lord, we now live in permanent relationship to him and through him to every single other baptized person. Our second unity is our unity in Christ through baptism. Note well, this Christian unity goes so much deeper than the earlier natural unity. Our unity with the animals and plants and quarks is flawed because creation itself has been corrupted. But our unity with the body of Christ through baptism is perfect because it comes about through Jesus Christ who recreated the world free of sin through his resurrection. 
Notice also the source of unity in Christ is baptism, which means that this unity exists between all Christians, regardless of their denomination. We have an obligation to our Orthodox and Lutheran and Methodist and non-denominational brothers and sisters in Christ, because we have been united to them in the one Lord, in the one faith, through the one baptism. Now, up until this point, the unities that St. Paul is talking about feel very mechanical and impersonal. We are automatically united to creation at the moment of our conception. Most of us are automatically united to the body of Christ and its members when we are baptized as infants. And yet, each of us knows all too well that unity is never automatic. It always requires work. Unity must be sustained through our actions and our choices. Otherwise, it will fall apart through sin or just plain negligence. This is why the next item on St. Paul's list is a bit more active. He speaks of the one hope of your call. Now, what is the one hope of our call? The one hope of the Christian life is unity with God in this life and in the next. In other words, it is holiness. Yes, it is well and good to be baptized into Christ, but that baptism is meaningless if we continue to distance ourselves from him through sin. Instead, the unity of our baptism must be expressed by seeking holiness together through worship, through prayer, and through service. The more we carry out our mission in Christ, the more the promise of our baptism becomes the reality of our lives. The more we seek holiness together, the more unified we become in Christ. Our third unity is our unity in mission, the mission of holiness. Finally, St. Paul speaks of one body and one spirit in order to remind us that unity in creation, Christ, and mission does not come from our own efforts. No, anything that relies solely on our own efforts is always destined to fail. Instead, true and lasting unity must come from the Spirit of God working through us. It is this animating Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who actually brings about the unity of the one body. Just as the human body cannot work together without the animating force of the soul, so the body of Christ cannot work together without the animating force of the Holy Spirit. The more we allow the Spirit to work through us, the more effortlessly the body of Christ can work in harmony. Our fourth unity is our unity in the Spirit. Now, and remember that we are working backwards here. Before he lists creation, Christ, mission, and spirit, St. Paul gives the Ephesians a list of virtues. Humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another through love, 
and preserving the bond of peace. St. Paul believes that these are the necessary virtues to allow the Spirit to work in us. And he is so very right. Now, make no mistake, the Christian life is so much more than being kind. But, being kind is an important aid in the Christian life. When we humble, when we are humble and gentle, not seeking to dominate or control, then we create a space for our fellow Christians and fellow human beings to grow and blossom. When we are patient, we take the often brittle bond of unity and allow it to stretch a little, rather than break at the first sign of tension. When we bear with one another through love and preserve the bond of peace, we express that our unity is something that we are willing to fight for, even when that means putting aside our selfish needs or opinions. So what has St. Paul told us? He has told us that we are united in our common creation, united far more profoundly in our recreation in Christ, and held in unity through the action of the Spirit. He has told us that this Trinitarian unity must find expression through our common mission of holiness, and that this unity is best preserved through patience, humbleness, gentleness, and self-sacrifice. However, as a final note, we must never allow this deep, profound unity of God to become the shallow unity of the world. In society today, unity is achieved by uncritically accepting everything, every opinion, every lifestyle, every self-expression. This is called being non-judgmental. But this is a flawed unity that will ultimately collapse. Why? Because it asks us to commit intellectual suicide by refusing to evaluate the world around us and the choices that people make. And it will collapse because it asks us to ignore and bury any disagreements or differences we might have, unless they are the very specific differences celebrated by the greater society. The principle of non-judgment says unity at all costs, no matter what must be swept under the rug. It will fail because it asks us to live a lie. But our unity, the unity of the church, is not a forced endeavor born of our own efforts. Our unity naturally develops because of our common focus on Jesus Christ. The mystery and the power of Jesus are so profound that even our most significant differences and disagreements seem inconsequential next to him. Why does St. Paul say in another place that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free person, male nor female? He says it because these differences are of no importance in the light of Christ. Unlike the false unity of non-judgment, our unity in Christ does not require us to pretend like our differences do not matter. 
Instead, such a deep and profound unity as ours allows us to discuss our differences and disagreements, to explore them together, and to be honest about our discomforts and even our judgments. The unity we have in Christ is so powerful that it is not threatened by our differences, but instead can purify them and turn them into assets instead of liabilities. When we are united in Christ, we have nothing to fear. One body and one spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are united in creation, united in baptism, united in mission, united in spirit, and united in Christ.